Chapters one through four of the story of the French Revolution by Ernest Belfort Bax. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter one The Literary Prologue the cardinal idea of the french revolution was the political emancipation of the middle class the feudal hierarchy of the middle ages consisted in france as in other countries of three main social divisions or estates as they were termed one the superior territorial clergy two the nobles and three the smaller landholders the free tenants and the citizens of the independent townships the mere serf or villain holding by servile tenure or common labourer was like the slave of antiquity unclassified the possession or non-servile tenure of land was the condition of freedom this third estate was the germ of our middle class the great problem of the french revolution then was to obtain the independence and domination of the third estate it is expressed in the words of its representative the abbe Sieyès. what are we of the third estate nothing what would we be everything but although the political supremacy of the middle class was the central idea and the one which it realized thereby effectually refuting a certain order of politicians that declares violent revolutions to be necessarily abortive there were issues raised and not merely raised but carried for the time being which went far beyond this but the flood-tide of the revolution did not represent the permanent gain of progress the waters receded from the ground touched at the height of the crisis leaving the enfranchisement of the bourgeoisie as the one achievement permanently effected foremost among the precursors of this mighty change was the genevese thinker jean-jacques rousseau seventeen twelve to seventeen seventy eight this remarkable personality may be termed the messiah of the revolutionary crisis his writings were quoted and read as a new gospel by well-nigh all the prominent leaders of the time rousseau's doctrines were contained in an early essay on civilization in his emile a treatise on education and in the social contract his chief work in his first essay rousseau maintained the superiority of the savage over the civilized state and the whole of his subsequent teaching centred in deprecation of the hollowness and artificiality of society and in an inculcation of the imperative need of a return as far as might be to a state of nature in all our relations this he especially applies to education in his emile in which he sketches the training of a hypothetical child the social contract his greatest work contains a discussion of the first principles of social and political order it is to this work the magic formulas which served as watchwords during the revolution formulas such as liberty equality and fraternity divine right of insurrection the term citizen employed as a style of address and many other things are traceable the title of the work was suggested by locke's or rather hobbes's supposition of a primitive contract having been entered into between governor and governed which was set up in opposition to that of the divine right of kings this idea rousseau accepts in basis but denies the unconditional nature of the contract affirmed by the originators of the theory no original distinction existed between rulers and ruled any contract of the kind obtained was merely a political convenience strictly subject to conditions governors were merely the delegates or mandatories of the people the form of government was to rousseau more or less a minor matter although a democracy had the most advantages yet it was quite possible for the mandates of the people to be adequately carried out by a special body of men an aristocracy or even by one man a king 
but every form of government was bound to recognize the will of the people as sovereign in all things the classicism of the french revolution is also largely represented in rousseau the roman constitution is invariably the source of his illustrations and the model to be copied or amended as regards toleration rousseau would allow the civil power the right of suppressing views which were deemed contrary to good citizenship like the romans he would tolerate all religions equally that did not menace the state there is probably no single book that has produced such stupendous results within a few years if at all as rousseau's social contract it is the textbook of the french revolution every ordinance every law every draft of constitution bears the mark of its influence although more logical in the working out of the theory than its founders it is needless to say that rousseau's own views are singularly barren and unhistorical as every theory must be that deals only with the political side of things one may admire his loathing at the artificiality of the world around him at the organized hypocrisy called religion and morality but in his day it was impossible to uncover its historical roots and hence to modern ears his diatribes lose much of their effect the influence of the second of the important precursors of the french revolution francois marie arouet de voltaire sixteen ninety four to seventeen seventy eight was much more indirect than that of rousseau voltaire's influence was almost purely negative by his wit he scorched up all the reverence remaining in the minds of men for the forms of the old outworn feudal catholic organization though there was a great amount of adroit self-seeking in voltaire's character it is as impossible to deny that there was also much that was genuine and truly noble in his indignation at cruelty and his detestation of christian hypocrisy as that it produced a far-reaching effect on the events that followed voltaire although personally a frenchman of frenchmen breathed the spirit of a conscious cosmopolitanism and contempt for nationality in his writings which for the first time in history became a popular creed during the revolution and was expressed in the famous appeal of seventeen ninety three but in this as in other respects voltaire was not alone he partly created and partly reflected the prevalent tone of the french salon culture of the eighteenth century this if we cared to do so we might trace back in its main features to the revival of learning to the courts of the medicis and here it may be well to remind our readers in passing of the truth that individual genius merely means the special faculty of expressing that so-called spirit of the age to which that of preceding ages has led up and that voltaire and rousseau merely achieved the results they did by reason of their capacity for reproducing in words the shapeless thoughts of millions to this in the case of voltaire must be added a special width of intellectual sympathy which took in an unusually large number of different subjects besides rousseau and voltaire we must not omit to mention the brilliant group of contemporary workers and thinkers headed by diderot and d'alembert who built up that monument of laborious industry the great french encyclopedia immense difficulties attended the publication of this important work notwithstanding that care was taken to exclude any expressions of overt contempt or hostility towards current prejudices again we must not forget the materialist atheists central among whom was baron dolbach the anonymous author of the celebrated system of nature a book which though crude according to modern notions did good work in its day work which a treatise of more intrinsic philosophical value probably would not have achieved 
it is noteworthy that most of the other prominent names among the pre-revolutionary writers including rousseau and voltaire are those of ardent deists the name of montesquieu sixteen eighty nine to seventeen fifty five whose esprit des lois was a textbook of juridical philosophy for the revolution must also not be omitted from the list of its literary precursors all these men contributed their share in preparing the mental foundation for the great upheaval which followed it is strange however that not one of them lived to see the practical issue of his labours rousseau the most directly powerful of them died eleven years before the taking of the bastille and voltaire the same year diderot lived till seventeen eighty four d'alembert died the previous year mirabeau alone of all who had prepared the great crisis lived to see its beginning but even he succumbed in seventeen ninety one a year and a half before the actual fall of the monarchy few of these men saw more than a free-thinking aristocracy and literary class of the movement below they erect little scarcely perhaps that there was such a movement for although from the beginning of the century notably throughout the reign of louis the fifteenth there was ever and anon the consciousness of a change as imminent and although twice in seventeen thirty four and in seventeen seventy one the old system seemed on that point of breaking down in revolution yet still it survived and for aught men could tell was destined to continue to survive many more such shocks the throne therefore doubtless to many seemed as secure religion as popular as ever the same throne and the same religion which in a few years were destined to be involved in so mighty an overthrow chapter two the economic prelude in the provinces ten years of bad harvests aggravated by an effete industrial fiscal and political system culminated with the summer of seventeen eighty eight a great drought was succeeded by a violent hailstorm which dealt destruction all round the harvest was worse than ever before all kinds of agricultural crops failed miserably all over france not alone wheat and grain generally but vines chestnuts olives in short all the natural products of consumption and exportation even what was gathered in was so spoiled as to be almost unfit for use from every province of france came the monotonous tale of ruin famine starvation even the comparatively well-to-do peasant farmer could obtain nothing but barley bread of a bad quality and water while the less well-off had to put up with bread made from dried hay or moistened chaff which we are told caused the death of many children the englishman arthur young who was travelling through france this year wherever he went heard nothing but the story of the distress of the people and the dearness of bread such bread as is to be obtained a taste of mould and often produces dysentery and other diseases the larger towns present the same condition as though they had undergone the extremities of a long siege in some places the whole store of corn and barley has the strength of putrefaction and is full of maggots to add to the horrors of the situation upon the hot and dry summer followed a winter of unparalleled severity the new year of seventeen eighty nine opened with the seine frozen over from paris to havre no such weather had been experienced since seventeen hundred nine as the spring advanced the misery increased the industrial crisis became acute in the towns thousands of workmen were thrown out of employment owing to the introduction of recently invented machinery from england which was beginning to supersede hand labour in some trades the riots and local disturbances which had for many years past been taking place sporadically in various districts now became daily more frequent 
so much so that from march onwards the whole peasantry of france may be said to have been in a state of open insurrection three hundred separate risings in the provinces being counted for the four months preceding the taking of the bastille in seventeen eighty seven the minister lomenie de brienne had created nineteen new provincial assemblies below the arrondissement or district assembly which had been instituted some years before now came the assembly of the parish in each of these primary assemblies of the parish the arrondissement and even of the province the people farmers etc sat side by side with the local dignitaries a fact which as may be imagined considerably tended to obliterate the ancient feudal awe in november seventeen eighty seven the king announced his intention of convoking the states-general on the fifth of july seventeen eighty eight the various local bodies were called upon to draw up cahiers or statements of their grievances for a presentment before the king and states-general in which a double representation of the third estate was conceded these cahiers form a mass of the most interesting material illustrative of the condition of france just before the revolution and have not even yet been fully investigated the king said the proclamation desires that from the extremities of his kingdom and the least known of its habitations each may feel assurance in bringing before him his views and grievances and this and other similar expressions were interpreted by the peasantry in the natural sense that the king was really desirous of rescuing them from starvation it accordingly emboldened them to take the matter into their own hands in january the cahiers were drawn up which meant that the people had now for the first time formulated their ills discussion in the assemblies had excited them the states-general was going to look to their wrongs it was true but the states-general did not meet till may and meanwhile they were starving one thing was clear they must have bread accordingly in defiance of local authorities and guardians of the peace bands ranging up to three or four hundred and more formed themselves all over france seized and plundered granaries religious houses stores of all kinds entered public buildings in the name of the people destroying all legal documents justly regarded as the instruments of their servitude which they could lay their hands on proclaimed the local dues and taxes abolished summarily put to death all those who interfered with them in the name of law and order and emboldened by success finally took to the burning of the chateau and the indiscriminate destruction and appropriation of the houses and property of the wealthy that the numbers of these bands were augmented not only by the workmen out of employment in paris rouen etc but also by professional thieves was only to be expected the local authorities were hopelessly inadequate to cope with the insurgents and central authority in paris seemed paralyzed ordinarily readers of the history of the revolution are apt to forget in following the course of events in the metropolis that they were only an enlarged picture of what was going on in hundreds of towns and villages throughout the provinces both before and after the famous fourteenth of july in most of the provinces of france all constituted authority was at an end no one durst disobey the mandates of the popular insurgents it would be impossible and tedious if it were possible to enumerate all the circumstances of even the principal revolts the manner was pretty much the same in all and the following account of an insurrection at strasbourg may serve to illustrate it five or six hundred peasants artisans unemployed tramps and others seized the occasion of a public holiday to attack the hotel de ville the assembled magistrates escaping precipitately by back doors the windows disappear under a volley of stones the doors are broken in with crowbars and the crowd enters like a torrent 
immediately the account states there was a rain of shutters window sashes chairs tables sofas books papers etc the public archives are thrown to the winds the neighbouring streets being covered with them deeds charters etc perish in the flames in the cellars tuns containing valuable wines are forced the marauders after drinking their fill allowing them to run until there is a pond formed five feet deep in which several people are drowned others loaded with booty run off with it under the eyes of the soldiers who rather encourage the proceedings than otherwise for three whole days the city is given over to the mob all the houses belonging to persons of local distinction are sacked from cellar to attic the revolt spreads instantly throughout the neighboring country note one ten origine tome one pages eighty one to eighty two return to text a few weeks before the opening of the states-general a great riot occurred in paris in the faubourg st antoine the workmen's quarter attended by much bloodshed and loss of life paris we are told had for months past begun to fill with desperate hungry and ragged strangers drawn thither by poverty from the uttermost ends of france in some districts the leaders pretend to be acting under the orders of the king the result is everywhere at least one thing the enforcement of a maximum in the price of bread and the abolition of taxes atrocities of course occur here and there a lawyer is half roasted to make him surrender a charter supposed to be in his possession a lord is tortured to death an ecclesiastic torn in pieces thus have threatened ruin and starvation to which the financial extravagances of the court have been the occasion of giving articulate expression and the remedy for which is offered to those who can read in the social contract of rousseau become the immediate cause of the french revolution the same imminent bankruptcy of the kingdom occasioned by the extravagance of the court which led to the convocation of the states-general led also indirectly to the founding of that mainspring of the revolution the jacobin club the dispute between the court and the local legal councils called parliaments led to the crippling of their powers by the king and this again to remonstrant deputations from the aggrieved provincial towns one set of these remonstrants hailing from rennes in brittany formed themselves into a club called the breton club for the ventilation of their grievances using the old convent of st jacques in the rue st honore for their meetings the original scope of the society soon became enlarged and the name changed from that of breton club to jacobin club after their meeting-place such was the origin of the vast club organization which exercised such a stupendous influence not only in paris but in france during the following years chapter three the opening in paris on the fifth of may seventeen eighty nine the royal town of versailles was gay gay with decorations with music vocal and instrumental with epaulettes etiquette fair women and fair costumes it was the opening of the states-general called together for the first time since sixteen fourteen as a last resource to rescue the realm from dissolution and impending bankruptcy and also the definitive opening of the french revolution at midday might have been seen the feudal procession entering the church of st louis after the king and royal family the clergy occupied the first place the superior clergy attired in purple robe and lawn sleeves the less superior in cassock cloak and square bonnet next came the nobles habited in black with silver-faced vest lace cravat and plumed hat while bringing up the rear followed the humble tiers-etat 
the representatives of the middle class the merchants the farmers and the small landowners dressed also in black but adorned with merely a short cloak and plain hat with this memorable procession the constitution of the middle ages moribund for over two centuries spasmodically gasped its last breath the business of the states-general did not pass off as gaily as the opening ceremony conflict between the orders followed immediately on points of procedure with the result that the third estate constituted itself the national assembly of france refusing to admit the other orders to its deliberations except on a basis of equality the king manifested his displeasure by closing the door of the hall of the states against them the assembly answered by the celebrated oath it took outside in the tennis court of versailles twentieth june by which it pledged itself not to separate until it had given france a constitution the assembly triumphed over the court two days after its oath inasmuch as it regained possession of its hall openly defied the king in person abolished the independence of the clergy and noblesse formally confirmed its decrees of the previous day which the king had quashed and proceeded with its deliberations thus the curtain rose on the first act of the revolutionary drama meanwhile the new popular ferment occasioned by the events at versailles had taken complete possession of the capital and was rapidly spreading into the provinces some weeks later early in july necker the minister of finance beloved by the middle class was dismissed from office necker it should be observed was one of the less bad of the scoundrels called finance ministers who have been malversating the national funds in succession for years past by comparison he appeared almost virtuous and the populace whose charity and admiration are always boundless toward official personages when not quite so bad as one would expect had converted him into an object of adoration a procession for the purpose of protesting against the minister's dismissal was dispersed by force of arms and two persons killed the city was soon in an uproar the palais royal the great place of public assembly and political discussion was packed with over ten thousand persons on the table which served for a tribune stood a young man of fine features and gentle mien who was haranguing the crowd it was camille desmoulins the popular journalist citizens said he there is not a moment to lose the removal of necker is the tocsin for a st bartholomew of patriots this evening all the swiss and german battalions are coming from the champ de mars to slaughter us there remains but one resource let us rush to arms so saying he placed in his hat a sprig of a tree green being the emblem of hope the example was followed till the chestnut trees of paris were denuded at the same time the tricolor flag was first adopted as the banner of the popular party the crowd proceeded through the streets bearing in triumph the busts of necker and philippe egalite the king's cousin but not his friend its numerical strength increasing with every yard traversed till its course was arrested on the pont royal by a detachment of the royal german cavalry the latter was driven back by showers of stones and the concourse swept onwards as far as the place louis XV. here a formidable street fight took place the people being opposed by a squadron of dragoons the regulars of the king after encountering a vigorous resistance at length routed the insurgent parisians but the victory was more fatal to the cause they represented than any defeat could have been the dispersed multitude carried the indignant cry to arms from end to end of paris the regiment of french guards quartered in paris mutinied and put to flight the mercenary foreign troops intended to overawe them 
the whole night long the tocsin rang out from the hotel de ville where a committee of prominent citizens was sitting to organize a search for arms the morning of the twelfth of july saw paris in full revolt the tocsins of all the churches were pealing drums were beating along all the main streets excited crowds collecting in every opening space an influx of the disinherited class trooped in at all the gates of paris gunsmith's shops were ransacked on all sides a mad search for weapons was the order of the day the committee at the hotel de ville in response to the importunate demands for arms could only reply that they had none the civic authorities next appealed to temporized and evasively promised assistance houses were sacked carriages seized in the confusion there were naturally not wanting ruffians who sought to make use of the state of things prevailing for purposes of mere plunder such excesses were peremptorily put down with the cry death to the thieves the equipages and other property of the aristocrats when seized by the people were always either destroyed or carried to a central station at the place de greve in the afternoon the provost of the merchants a dignitary of the effete medieval hierarchy corresponding to the modern mayor announced the speedy arrival of the muskets and ammunition so eagerly clamoured for on all sides a citizen militia was formed under the name of the parisian guard numbering forty-eight thousand men cockades of red blue and green were everywhere distributed but the hours passed on and no muskets arrived a panic seized the city that the mercenary troops were about to march on paris during the ensuing night at last chests purporting to contain ammunition did appear were eagerly torn open and found to contain old linen and broken pieces of wood the committee men and the provost of the merchants alike narrowly escaped with their lives but the provost pleading that he had been himself deceived tried to divert the attention of the people by sending them on a futile expedition to chartreux the committee finally hit upon the device of arming the citizens with pikes in default of firearms and accordingly ordered fifty thousand to be forged as a measure of protection against thieves and plunderers the city was illuminated throughout the night chapter four the bastille next morning the fourteenth early the word was passed among the populace to the Evalides, the military hospital there at least arms must be forthcoming and sure enough the people were rewarded for their courage in braving the troops assembled in the champ de mars and forcing their way into the great military depot twenty-eight thousand muskets besides cannon sabres and spears were carried off in triumph meanwhile the alarm had been given that the royal regiments posted at st denis were on the way to the capital and above all that the cannon of the bastille itself was pointed toward the boulevard st antoine the attention of paris was at once directed to the former point which really commanded the most populous districts of the city the whole morning there was but one cry to the bastille the bastille was the great emblem of the king's authority in the middle ages it had been the royal stronghold against the turbulent feudal barons but though the french nobility had long ceased to be turbulent barons and had become obsequious courtiers the bastille remained nevertheless the great visible embodiment of the at present long centralized authority of the king of france the capture of the bastille would therefore be the greatest blow the king's prestige could possibly suffer add to this that although no longer employed for its original purpose the bastille had become specially obnoxious owing to its use as a place for arbitrary imprisonment under the infamous lettre de cachet 
armed crowds assembled then at this place from all quarters till the great fortress seemed confronted by the whole city in arms negotiations took place with the governor de launay but the people persistently shouted we want the bastille the die was cast by the destruction of the great bridge which was battered down by blows from hatchets it is said by two men only the concourse poured in the second drawbridge was attacked and vigorously defended by the small garrison numbers of the assailants fell killed and wounded the siege continued over four hours when the french guard who as we have seen had already sided with the revolution arrived with cannon the garrison seeing the case hopeless themselves urged the governor to surrender but old delaunay preferred blowing the place up and burying himself amidst the ruins his companions alone prevented him from carrying out this design the soldiers thereupon surrendered on condition that their lives should be spared the leaders of the people who were in the forefront and had given their word to this effect did their utmost to protect the garrison from the indignation of the crowd but among the thousands that thronged in there were probably few who knew anything of what had taken place as a consequence delaunay and some of the swiss garrison fell victims to the popular fury meanwhile the hotel de ville was in trepidation above all the provost of the merchants Plessel, trembled lest he should be made to suffer for his treachery these fears were not allayed when shouts of victory liberty issuing from thousands of throats assailed the ears of the inmates and grew louder minute by minute it was the conquerors of the bastille carrying their heroes in triumph to the municipal headquarters presently there entered the great hall an enthusiastic but disorderly ragged and blood-stained crowd promiscuously armed with pikes muskets hatchets and well-nigh every other conceivable weapon above the heads of the crowd one held the keys of the bastille another the regulations of the prison a third the collar of the governor a general amnesty for all the defenders captured was agreed to after much opposition but the provost of the merchants did not get off so easily on the corpse of delaunay a letter had been found in which flesselle had stated that he was amusing the parisians with cockades and promises and that if the fortress could only hold out till nightfall relief should come a court was to have been improvised in the palais royal to judge him but on the way thither he was laid dead by a pistol shot from one of the crowd the excitement of the day's action over precautions to avert designs against the capital on the part of the court were redoubled everywhere barricades were raised paving stones torn up pikes forged the whole population was all night long at work in the streets how well grounded were the fears of the parisians would have been evident to any one behind the scenes at versailles where breteuil the prime minister had just promised the king to restore the royal authority in three days this very night having been fixed for the expedition and wine and presents distributed among the royal troops in anticipation the assembly which was sitting en permanence was about to send one more deputation to the king it had already sent two when he appeared in person in its midst on being informed during the night of the events that had taken place by the grand master of the wardrobe he exclaimed it is a revolt no sire replied the grand master it is a revolution on the king's subsequent protestations of affection for his subjects and his statement that he had just been given orders for the withdrawal of the foreign troops from paris and versailles that he confided his person to the representatives of the nation alone etc the assembly gave way to transports of joy rose en masse and escorted him to the palace the news spread rapidly 
a revulsion of feeling took place all round from terror to elation from hatred to gratitude the general jubilation was increased by the restoration of necker the entry of louis the sixteenth into paris and his acceptance of the tricolour cockade thus ended the preparatory period of the revolution it is needless to say the moral effect of the popular victory throughout france was immense every town becoming henceforth a revolutionary centre in the sense of possessing a definite revolutionary organization there are one or two useful hints to be learned from this old and oft-repeated story of the fall of the bastille the first is of the eminent utility of popular force if only applied at the right moment beforehand it would have seemed preposterous that an undisciplined mob could take a fortress and paralyse the efforts of a reaction possessed of a trained army yet so it was another point to note is the untrustworthiness of men who belong to the class which makes the revolution and who even profess to represent it when their personal interests and position are bound up with the maintenance of the existing order lesel a man of the third estate its leading dignitary in the city of paris was yet the man who was the least anxious to see the feudal hierarchy overthrown and why because he played a part in it the third estate had been incorporated into the medieval system he was its representative as one of the feudal orders its position was subordinate indeed but now that it was growing in importance its leading men had much more to gain by clinging to the skirts of the noblesse and aiding them in frustrating that complete revolution which the rank and file of the class were seeking than in assisting the accomplishment of this revolution which could only mean the effacement of their own personal position history repeats itself trade unions have won for themselves recognition and patronage in the middle-class world to-day their leaders in a similar way do not exhibit any special desire for a change which though it would mean the liberation and triumph of the class they represent would at the same time render trade unions a thing of the past no less than the lord mayors and cabinet ministers who stroke the backs of the parliamentary elect of trades unions no verily this is not a nice prospect for the trade union leaders End of chapters one through four